so stupid, he comes across in front of me every single time he ever takes. Where does he want me to go off the track? No! Stop talking to me in the braking zone! Talking to me in the braking zone! In honour of Top Gear's new renamed The Grand Tour, we are now renaming our show The Old Boys Club. Welcome to Motorsport 101. And welcome back to episode 39 of Motorsport 101. I'm your friendly neighbourhood host, Mr. Andre Harrison. And with me, as ever, we have Mr. Sabbatical himself, Mr. Adam Johnson. Hello, sir. It's called having a holiday. Excuse me. None of this sabbatical nonsense. It was, I'm it was, back and I'm ready. It was, it was a sabbatical. Let's, let's be real here. <laughs> it was a sabbatical in a very sunny, peaceful part of Norfolk. And I kind of miss it. But anyway, I'm back. And I'm on a show with you guys. Oh, God. So, back to the grind. We, I would say we've missed him, but this is the guy that's now apparently boycotting motorsports. So what, what do we know? <laughs> Why are you still on this show? Right? We, we should have given Connors another call, damn it. <laughs> oh, well, I, I knew this would happen. I knew I'd go away for one week. You got Connors back in. <laughs> This is it. I'm 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 wasted potential. I'm damaged goods around here already. I see how it is. What can I, 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 what can I say? I'm easily smitten with with uh, Americans with funky looking hair. Uh, in the other corner, representing our American trio as always, we have Mr. Ryan King. Hello, sir. King. Yeah, yeah. New, we're the old boys club now. Where, where's where's the money at? I, I assume that Amazon <laughs> is footing the bill for this. <laughs> <laughs> yes, clearly, like I want royalties and I want them yesterday. Uh, clearly, does this mean we're gonna have to record from a new? Well, hang on a minute, we're recording from a different program every week. But mm-hmm. <laughs> those I don't know, like we used to use Discord to record our voices, but Discord. Well, we used to use Skype first time out, yeah. and then my computer just was just like, nope, you ain't having Skype around here no more. Nope. And then we tried Discord, and then Dre's microphone just gave up on that. So <laughs> we're hoping Zencaster plus plus. Uh, apparently that's English for please or something like that. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. It's, it's for sure. internet for please. It's, it's, it's internet. <laughs> I, like, I like the internet is now officially like a language. Um, <laughs> the internet. Yes. Um, before we get started, I want to say a big thanks to all you guys that are listening on SoundCloud. As ever. We just crossed 8,000 total plays in total, which is... Which is um, crazy so thanks everybody yes. out there um i know many many of us dre why do you keep doing this podcast I, I ask myself the same question every week when i listen to what adam goes through uh, <laughs> dealing with him makes me question insanity on many occasions i'm but, just pushing you to your limit man i'm just keeping you gotta keep you on the edge can't get, can't let you get comfortable man yeah, it's, like, it's like playing darkest dungeon where like you max out your stress bar and it's like this, i just feel hopeless masochistic or selfish <laughs> quite frankly every time i'm on an episode with johnson but it's, it's, and then it's right at the moment that you you get past all that and you go, oh, maybe I'll enjoy this. And then Sinan goes, can you do a DTM? No! No, <laughs> no not more motorsport. You had to name drop him, didn't you? Jesus Christ. Sinan, I love you, man. It's cool. <laughs> I love you, man. No no problem. But we we watch too much motorsport already. Yeah, like, Johnson, you're drunk. Go home. But essentially on this bumper edition of episode 39 of the podcast, we'll be talking about the big news that's already kind of faded, but King is pissed about this one it's Dale Kvyat and Max Verstappen swapping teams as Kvyat has been essentially for all intents and purposes demoted back to his Toro Rosso team of old as Max Verstappen gets the call up to the Red Bull factory team 
um, the Takua factory team, of course. <laughs> but um, we'll be talking about that, obviously. And does it have more to do than the Russia incident? Yes, yes, it does. But we'll be talking about that in length. We'll be talking about Mercedes and Lewis Hamilton both having to release statements that, oh my God, they're not rigging races. What a shocker. Uh, we'll, we'll be talking about the possibility of Heineken joining Formula One as a sponsor. A big story that may or may not be happening. A $135 million deal is what the rumoured number is to be around. But we'll be talking about that. And we'll be talking about uh, NASCAR gaining Romain Grosjean. I'm not talking about that. Those two are talking about that. So that, that that's their problem. Oh, yes. that, that, that's their segment. I will shut up for that one entirely, apart from making probably terrible French jokes, essentially. <laughs> because, you know... Like, Grosjean's already the established heel in Formula One after his Ericsson rant earlier in the season. But uh, it, 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 going it, to the WWE of motorsport, it makes sense. Yes, of course. So, you know, why don't we just go all the way with it at this point and just go, sod it, I'm joining NASCAR, which everybody loves NASCAR, right? <laughs> right? No? Okay. Uh, we'll, talk, we'll talk about MotoGP and uh, as Jorge Lorenzo takes the most dominant dry win of his career, as well as the all-time pole position lead as he, as he won his second race of the season and takes the MotoGP championship lead under the hands of Mark Marquez, who participated in some synchronized crashing with Andrea De Vizioso. We'll also be talking at length about Maverick Vinales as he scored his first podium of his MotoGP career and Suzuki's first since 2008, amazingly. So we'll be talking about that as well and the future prospects of silly season as they as the stories intensify Danny Pedrosa Andre Iannone mentioned Alex Rins mentioned Jonas Volga officially going to Tech 3 next year so more more of that um, as always in the big city season we'll be talking Moto3 as Brad Binder captured his second consecutive victory um, in Moto3 uh, in a narrow win over Romano Fanati um, in Moto3 we'll be talking about is this the best Moto3 class we've ever seen Mm. Um, so we'll be talking about that and we'll be talking a little bit about IndyCar as well and we'll be talking about the fact they want to hold a non-championship round in China in October um, somewhere Roger Penske's not going to be best pleased about this also we'll be talking about the possibility of Watkins Glen potentially replacing the dropped Boston race from their calendar so that and inevitably a lot more on this episode of Motorsport 101 and let's start with the big story in Formula One last week. It was actually, it's actually been a pretty quiet week in F1, apart from this story, which is just <laughs> an absolute humdinger. One of the big- Put it this way, I was on I was on holiday, as I said before, like in, mm. in the quiet broads of Norfolk, lovely, peaceful holiday, <laughs> away from motorsport for a week, and things were quite quiet. Occasionally I'd check Twitter and go, eh, nothing much happening. And then, was it Thursday morning? I checked Twitter and a small mushroom cloud came out the top of my phone. I was like, oh, uh, yeah. run away now. Because it, it was it was heavily rumoured the night before and like nobody really took it seriously. Yeah, everyone was just kind of like, yeah, that's yeah. not going to happen. Until Andrew Benson, who writes for the BBC, mentioned it. And I was like, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> right, wait, there's some actual decent sources are coming out. And obviously, like, like the following morning, it all came out. that Oh, yeah. We're swapping drivers. Daniel Kvyat will be uh, continuing his development, in the words of Christian Horner, with Toro Rosso. The man with more potential than Jean-Eric Verne, yep. still developing. That guy, that guy. Yeah, the guy they they, they, they 
cost Verne's job and, and cut him for more potential, but needs more development. Who knew? So he's, he's going back to Soro Rosso for the rest of the season, and Verstappen, Max Verstappen, is getting essentially promoted from Soro Rosso to the Red Bull factory team going forward. For the, this is not a one-time deal. This is for the rest of the season, may I add. People, other people think this is only a one-off thing. This is for the whole year now with, uh, with Kvyat and Verstappen. And... Uh, Somebody was not best pleased about this, and um, I was like, whoa. I was, I was more in shock. The person that was pissed was uh, a certain Ryan King, and uh, King. King, the floor is yours on this one. You can say whatever the hell you like. Um, <laughs> Let me get my tin helmet. Yeah. This is going to get spectacular. This is going to be fun. <laughs> Duck and cover. Oh, my God. Get down. There's so many angles I could go at the story where I could go from them appeasing Verstappen because they're afraid that he might go to Ferrari or some people even said Mercedes. There's the story that, yeah, they wanted to get rid of Kvyat for, you know, performance-based reasons or maybe marketing-based reasons as well that they'd rather have Max Verstappen. And it, it seems frustrating to me that basically Max Verstappen was able to get a promotion four races into a season just because he made him and his father made you know threats that uh, him and him and uh, Carlos Sainz didn't apparently did not get along at Toroso at all and that he was looking to leave the team at for, at the end of the year to either basically it's either he gets promoted or he leaves wow so, in other words, I mean, we all know Max's dad, Yoss, is a very... What's the word I'm looking for here? Persuasive? Hardcore. <laughs> I was, I was going to say hardcore, but persuasive works too. He's a very... Based yeah. on his history, I would not yeah. use the term hardcore. <laughs> no, 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 Whoa, 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 whoa. That's a poor choice of words. Oof. Yeah, I, I forgot that one for a second there. My apologies. Um, <laughs> shit, that wasn't good. Uh, <laughs> um, okay, let me breathe for a second here. <laughs> We're all getting very British for a moment, again. <laughs> oh, okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, that, 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 half, that was the Jamaican in me there that kicked in for a, for a second there. I was thinking about... Oh, cool words, me blooder. But um, yeah, oh, this is great banter. It, it really is. Um, but yeah, like Yoss is a very powerful figure in 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 that in that garage. He's always there. He's there for every race. He's in the back. He's always very close to Max. And you know, not the most likable figure. I think there's a lot of. I think he's a, he's a figure that a lot of people will look at like this um, military drill you know, drill instructor kind of kind of guy. I'm going to be really careful how I word this now. <laughs> um, but it makes a lot of sense because I know Verstappen was in the press openly as well talking about this, Johnson. And Verstappen said himself a couple of weeks ago he wanted to challenge for podiums very soon. And I think it's fair to say Toro Rosso is, is an improved car, but it's not a car you, you think is going to be challenging Red Bull, challenging Williams for those podium positions. And... <laughs> Especially given the way the sport is now, where Mercs are pretty much going to be one and two if nothing crazy happens. So you could see that Verstappen, I think, was planting the seeds for something like this. And when you're a golden prospect that's been, you've had, you've had nothing but people blow smoke up your ass for basically two and a half years now. I mean, this this just kind of reeks of inevitability, really, wasn't it? Where like Verstappen was going to force Red Bull's hand here. Mm. 
But for me, I mean, the thing is, first up, I think it's it's very clear that this was not a performance-based move. A lot of people said, well, hey, Kvyat had one instant in Russia and he gets canned. Really? Yeah. Is that it? You know, uh, and I immediately pointed out, if that's the case, then that's the biggest hypocrisy going, considering Verstappen, as recently as Australia, was crashing into his teammate and pretty much throwing the shade at him after the race, um, which is not a good show at all. Johnson, do you remember a certain Japanese Grand Prix at Fuji where a certain young German man drove into the back of a much more experienced Australian man that caused him to swear live on ITV television back in 2007? I do remember that. I do remember that. Some guy called Sebastian, I think, I don't know what happened to him. I mean, I think he's over in IndyCar now. Um, but uh, yeah, exactly. Um, so, like, this yeah. is—I mean, what surprised me most about this movie is—I is I think you know we could all see Verstappen moving up at some point. Yeah. But I've compared him all along to um, inevitably. Adam does a NASCAR comparison, but I've compared him all along to Chase Elliott over in NASCAR. Mm. Incredibly successful dad who is mentoring his incredibly successful young prodigy of a son through up the ranks. I mean, everyone could see from a mile off that Chase Elliott is a future superstar of NASCAR. But key difference here is that in 2014, um, he came into the NASCAR Xfinity Series, the second tier, was winning races left, right and centre and became the Xfinity Series champ in his rookie season. Now, if he pulls a Max Verstappen on that, he gets pushed up to a Hendrick ride last year and someone like Casey Kane gets the can. Uh, But Hendrick stayed firm all along. He said, no, you're doing two years in the developmental series. And then I'm bringing you up when Jeff Gordon retires. That's how things work. And ultimately, it has worked out. I just worry that Max is, this is too much too soon for Max. He's had too many people. And it's inevitable. I mean, how old is the guy now? He's not even 18, is he? He's 18 18 this year, isn't he? He's 19 in October. 19 in October. Exactly. And he has been, I mean, this is the guy. I mean, this is incredibly, uh, this is not. Uh, this is an incredibly arbitrary fact to bring up. But just for example, this is the guy that last year when uh, motorsport presenter Jenny Gao did an impromptu like fan vote contest on Twitter, and it was like a knockout round thing. This was the guy that crushed Lewis Hamilton to win that impromptu fan vote thing. Right. Max Verstappen. This is the guy. So he is he's hugely popular. He's had great success in his first year. And as you've said, he's had everyone telling him that he is... I mean, this was a guy who was getting Senna comparisons in his third race in yeah. Formula One. He was getting compared to Ayrton Senna. Now, trust me, Chase Elliott was not getting compared to Dale Earnhardt three races into his NASCAR career. He really wasn't. So this level of hype is unprecedented. And I don't know, like, I, I understand Max Verstappen going, you know what, I want a top-tier ride. I'm not here to just fill out the numbers in the developmental ranks. I want to ride at the top-tier Red Bull. But I feel like either something must have been on the table very, very soon, or they've called Red Bull's bluff and they've gone with it because I'm surprised they've done this mid-season. I would expect it to wait till the end of the season. Even if we hear news throughout the year that, hey, Max Verstappen signed a contract Red Bull, the senior team for 2017. That's kind of what I'd expect. Uh, or it would be announced at the end of the season and maybe Kvyat moves on or moves down. Who knows? Or maybe, who knows? Mm-hmm. We've still got a long way of the season to go. Something could happen to Ricardo. Imagine if Ricardo has an absolutely dreadful second half of the season and he wants out. He's not happy with how he is at the moment. Suddenly, you've knocked Kvyat down very early in the season when it, it had things played out Verstappen could have ended up taking the others who know infinite things have happened yeah. as I say the way I'm looking at it here it feels to me like 
something must have been in play very, very quickly. Like, Yoss or someone must have brought to the table, hey, it's almost like all we've got to do now is sign the contract over it. I mean, the name that kept being bounced around was Ferrari. I don't buy that because Ferrari don't generally buy hotshot young talents. They buy the finished product. Or they they bring in... talented guys who can either win them a world championship or be a solid number two to help the other guy win the world championship. Do you know what I mean? So you, in that bracket, you have guys like Mika Salo, Eddie Irvine, Felipe Massa, uh, Kimi Raikkonen now is at that stage, having been in the champion stage. And of course, you know, the list of people who won the world championships, is just it just runs on and on and on. Right. They don't normally go in for the superstar young talents. They don't. Uh, if someone like that or a Mercedes, even a Mercedes, who knows, had some sort of contract on the table, then I mean, that must be, guys, this must have been the only thing that forced the move so early. It doesn't make any sense otherwise. Look, I think it's fair to say, and I think most people with half a brain cell were able to put two and two together and realise that this had nothing to do with Russia. This was, like, if anything, Russia was the perfect excuse to make it look like it was Russia that could cause a switch like this. Like, Oh, uh, he needs more development. He needs to go back down. Yeah, because of one instant, really? Were we born yesterday? Of course not. Especially given they were so strongly defending him after China and an instant where obviously Kvyat did nothing wrong at China and he was was on the podium on that that very same (laughs) race. And so... Again, it's it's not like there there is no way it's performance related because it it doesn't make any sense from that standpoint. This was a catfish. This was using the obviously Kvyat's crash at Russia was unacceptable, and I don't think anybody saying that wasn't. But it, it's the perfect alibi. Shameless plug for my post I put about this on Harrison101.com. Hey. But um, it was the perfect alibi to get Kvyat out of the team and give the golden prospect what they always wanted, which is a car that can contend for both. And which is which is what Red Bull kind of are at right now. They're arguably the third best team in the field right now, and if the cards fall a certain way, they can get on the podium like they did with Kvyat in China. And now Ricardo has had three fourth places this season already, so the cars better than what it was last year by the sounds of it. And I mean, King, you, you can sound off on this one as much as you like, and it, it's, it's it just it just reeks to me of Red Bull once again just using their driver academy like sheep and like cattle here to just move people around, use assets. And it it just reeks of just shitty behavior to me. Yeah, I mean, this is the same thing that happened when they won the bid for Verstappen, what, two years ago now, where Mm -hmm. basically they outbid Renault and... They outbid Renault and Mercedes with something they couldn't offer, a Formula One seat right out the gate. And now... Now they, yep, we gave him an F1 seat. What next? And it's like, well, we have to put him in the A team now. And now they put him in the A team. What happens next? What happens when Max Verstappen wants more? What happens when Max Verstappen wants a championship winning car and you can't offer that to him? Like it just feels to me. I don't know. How, I don't know what it is to you, King, but it just feels to me like the Verstappens hold a lot more of the cards than they should. Yes. Like as I said before, the reason why I brought up the Chase Elliott example, or even someone like Ryan Blaney, uh, very similar scenario over at Penske. Um, both times they had very experienced, hardened, championship-winning team managers or team owners saying, "Son, I don't care how much potential you're showing." I'm not moving you up until I think you're absolutely ready. And in both cases, it looks like they've moved them up at just about the right time. They haven't been, because we've seen plenty of guys move up into the top tier, Spring Cup series, and just drown. They have just not been able to keep their head above water. Um, 
But in this case, it feels like all along it's been the other way around. It's almost like uh, this is why there must be something else in play. I don't know what kind of money um, the Verstappens are bringing to the table. I'd imagine a healthy amount because, you know, we all like to bash on certain drivers and being paid drivers, but ultimately pretty much all of them are bringing some sort of money to the table. They're not exactly bringing a tin of beans and a used shirt. Um, and, if any, so, and if anything, Kvyat's one of the massive... Probably the only Red Bull driver that has massive outside backing outside of just being a Red Bull Academy driver. So it's not a money thing either. Red Bull, we all know they can spend big. They spent 200 million on their car last year. So, you know, it's not a money issue either. It's it's blatantly let's hang on to the golden child. I mean, and I think King, I think it's fair to say, given that the amount of assets they've got, I think there's a lot of ways this could go wrong and not many this can actually go right because mm. I feel like you've just alienated Kvyat because you've just told him you're not good enough to be in this team anymore, basically. You, we think the we think the 18-year-old is better than you. That's not a good look. Second yeah, I mean, of all, this, this just destroys any hope of any other driver in the academy, whether it be, you know, Kvyat, Carlos Sainz, Pierre Gasly in GP2. What is the point? Because... Max Verstappen is going to be there for the foreseeable future. Like, at worst, if he doesn't choose to leave on his own, it's a good 15 years. Like, four seats becomes three seats. And then what next? You're, you're going to constantly keep firing people who's not Max Verstappen? Like, it seems like being a Red Bull Academy driver is pointless at this at this stage of things. Exactly, because, I mean, we, we said it before, they've got really young drivers in their academy. Kvyat is 22, Carlos Sainz is 21, Verstappen's 18 still, and Ricardo, their headlining driver, is still only 26. So, you know, like, they're not... Like, this seems like there was going to be inevitable. There was going to have to be some kind of power play here, because... Their drivers were too young. Something had to give here. It reminded me a lot of when Jaime Alguasari and Sebastian Buemi lost their jobs at Toro Rosso at the same time, and they pretty much also they cleared the next. What this them. reminds me of it from another example is over the winter there was a massive cull over at Nismo, uh, mm-hmm. basically because their Gran Turismo Academy had produced so many recruits. They just ran out of room with them. They started as soon as they scaled back. That was it for like, the guys like Wolfgang Reip, um, Mark Shorsitsky. These are championship-winning drivers. These are race-winning drivers. They had to find employment somewhere else. They just clo- they. It was almost like it was the academy was too good. It produced too many prospects. And mm-hmm. in this case, though, it feels more like uh, Red Bull's academy produced the prospect they wanted. And that's it. Everyone else, you can fend for yourself. I mean, wasn't Dean Stoneman part of the academy for yes. a while? He was. He still but is. I mean, and Red Bull hasn't stopped signing people. Like they signed uh, the Finnish, the Finnish kid, like Nico Kari. He's 16 years old. Won the Finnish and Russian Formula Four championship last year. They signed him. <laughs> It's just going to keep going and going. You know what? You'd think Max Verstappen, given they signed him up when he was 16 years old and ran him when he was 16 years old in F1, you'd think that was the breaking point, the point of no return, given that because of F1's own new rules, you can't be in unless you're 18 or over. So they're going to be playing catch-up with themselves regardless. And it's going to be another situation where I feel like Carlos Sainz is, is, is almost like 
he's, it's like he's driving over a bridge. The bridge is cut halfway off, and someone's just cut his brakes. You know what's going to happen? <laughs> he's going to lose his job, and he's not going to get another seat in F1. He's going to be another John Eric Verne, another Sebastian Bourdais, another Jaime Alessari. Yeah. They might be out yeah. of the sport at like 23, 24, and have nowhere else to go in terms of a top-tier F1 seat. And the thing is, with Formula 1, it's very hard to get another ride. After you've been out of the sport, it's very hard to come back in. Yeah, isn't exactly. It? Is that same as MotoGP. Once you, you get one shot most of the time, I mean, Magnussen was very lucky to get a second bite of the cherry because of obviously Venezuela's situations and Pastor's struggles. But it's rare you see drivers like Sutil and Magnussen get a second second, get a second crack at it. I mean, Esteban, I think, was very lucky to get the Haas seat when there was blatantly better talent available. But of course, Telmec sponsorship, you know, good money and whatnot. Of course, he got back in. But even so, I feel like You've alienated Kvyat. You've probably alienated Sainz' long-term future. You've thrown mm. the house at Verstappen, who's still only 18 years old. You can't invest that kind of much into Verstappen. And I'm not being bigger. funny. Has shown a little bit of temperament issues this year. It feels like this year mm. is the one where he has to really mature. And I, I, and, I and this just feels like this just feels like you know the kid who you know is like the child prodigy, mm-hmm. but he's also a little bit spoiled. This just feels a little bit like, oh, there you go. Here's the factory drive you wanted. And it's like, no, that's not often the way to treat it. (laughs) There's got to be a moment when someone tells this guy, you're not Jesus behind the steering wheel of a Formula One car. You've you've still, you've got to go and develop and prove it. I have no doubt this guy's going to be like a future world champion and everything like that. But I I think this sends out the wrong message to too many people, including Max himself. But the thing is as well, what's going to bring him back down to earth very quickly is he's now competing against Daniel Ricciardo. And And there's no excuses. There's no, oh, he's in the Toro Rosso. Like like Red Bull has given Max every given opportunity now. He's now got to cash this in because Daniel Ricciardo, we all know, is no slouch. Ricciardo is that team. And that is the byproduct of Red Bull's actions. If they can Produce a Sebastian Vettel level kind of driver or even something close to that every five years they're not going to give a shit about guys like Bourdais, Buemi, Verne, Algaswari, guys they run over for those kind of positions like I know Martin Brundle was very much all for this because he, because he had the attitude essentially of well Verstappen was going to get that seat anyway why not do it now the reason why you'd not do it now is because I think there's too much risk on the table I think like there is I think, as I said earlier yeah. you don't know what's going to change between now and the end of the season like, what happens now if Verstappen's confidence falters or something happens to Ricardo what happens if Ricardo now moves teams I don't know who he'd go to, but what happens there? And suddenly, you'll get, what, if, you know, what, if Ricardo, what I'm saying what, is basically, what if Ricardo lays the beat? What if Ricardo lays the beat down on Verstappen, and you've just da- and now your top prospect is damaged goods? Yeah, and what do you and do? Kvyat, well, oh, we want uh, Kvyat. We want you back in the main game team now. That's race drivers are proud people. If I'm Kvyat at that point, I'm like, oh. Now you want me back in the top car? Like I'm saying, man, there's there's so many ways this can go wrong, and I think there's not very many ways this can go right. This is a huge gamble, yeah, effectively. But I mean, it, it seems like like one of the one of the root problems of this is the new the new mentality to running a driver academy, where it's mainly like everyone's worst fear when it comes to sports, where you have like people say that oh Manchester United or or the New York Yankees are just going to buy all the best players in the league where it well, seems I mean, like 
Yeah, where it seems like it's literally that mentality in Formula One where it's where driver academies are like, yeah, we're just going to get all the drivers we can, all the best drivers we can. Like um, Mercedes mm. has right now, they're the two big guys in the Mercedes Academy, Academy are Pascal Verlein and Esteban Ocon. And mm. Renault wanted Esteban Ocon, but they couldn't get him. So, But Mercedes were kind enough to let him let let him out on loan to Renault as a as a Renault test driver while he races for Mercedes in DTM. Yeah, it's kind of like a token gesture to say, hey, if he gets him more experience, it's kind of in our best interest to loan him out and see what we've, see what we've got, basically, without having to commit him to, obviously, the great big factory seat that is obviously occupied by two of the two of the three or four best drivers in the world in Hamilton and Rosberg. And King made a very valid point now that, you know, it could be just a byproduct of this nature of hoarding talent or monopolizing youth talent because we saw Renault's academy I mean Ferrari still has John Eric Verne under its wing it has Esteban Gutierrez still in case you know there's a mention anything like that goes around Red Bull still have are still signing young talent by the bucket load you know McLaren have Stoffel Van Dorn ready to go and Van Dorn's made it publicly clear he knows other teams are out are after a signature so like it's a lot like Bayern Munich this past week when, when it was announced yesterday that they're signing Mats Hummels and Renato Sanchez and obviously all the Dortmund fans got pissed like oh they're ruining the league they're signing their rival club's best talent it's, it's that kind of mentality and I think that scares sports fans a lot more than anything it's else like, it's, it's the sort of mentality of we'd rather have them sitting on the bench for us than playing and scoring against us exactly it's, it's like when it's like when Arsenal it's sold yeah. thing. it's like when Arsenal sold Samir Nasri they sold him to Man City when they didn't think he was going to be relevant because they had David silver already but it turns out now he was a big player for him and it turned you know or Arsenal when they thought RVP was done they sold him to Manchester United that totally didn't go wrong by the way Uh, it's that kind of nature of hoarding talent so somebody else doesn't use them against you and I think that's a very valid point there that the it's a byproduct of youth talent just getting monopolized and hoarded by teams just in case um, they end up going to somebody else they get their shot and then they end up beating you and they don't want that they'd rather have them sit down and drive a simulator later for for f1 minimum wage they'll bleed their sponsor money dry and they hope they never get to actually race so that's what i think people are fearing and again look at mclaren they have jensen button and fernando alonso they're not going to get they're not going to put stoffel in that seat anytime soon if if jensen's still good which he has been and fernando is still the spearheader of the project he's not going to leave unless he retires which as much as i think he should shout out to dre brief I, I i don't think he will because fernando is desperate for that third title so it's it's there's a lot of different angles of ways of looking at this and like i said i still stand by this i feel like there's very there's a lot of ways where this could go wrong and i don't think there's very many ways this can go right i think i think it's going to be a lose for somebody if Verstappen turns out to be brilliant then what does ricardo do ricardo's going to be up he's going to be up sticks and leaving because ricardo's already teased that possibility ricardo was already thinking about selling high after 2014 a season where he obviously he smoked sebastian vettel and everyone thought oh well you know you know he's a future world champion you know he, he wait till he gets a car that can actually win maybe Merck should sign him and in 2015 he got beaten by Lennel Kvyat now I know people watching this are going to be like oh well Ricardo was unlucky look the scoreboard doesn't lie okay use whatever context you want to describe how Ricardo was unlucky not to beat Kvyat but he didn't that's just a fact so you know it's one of those things where you just look at it and you go well if Verstappen's great, it alienates Ricardo. If Verstappen's bad, you've thrown a house on a prospect that wasn't as good as you thought it was, and then you've you've butchered your Toro Rosso team of Sainz and Kvyat 
to make it happen. They've thrown the house at it, and now we're going to see whether the all-in gamble will work or not. And uh, man, it's uh, we've we spent twenty minutes on this, which is crazy. But um, <laughs> it's, it's it's a crazy story. We've not we've not seen it for a long time in F1 where they've just you know we're going to swap drivers and like everybody seems okay with it I mean the press conference will be this time tomorrow with um, Kvyat Sainz and Verstappen all in, in the same room all in the same room for the press conference tomorrow Thursday afternoon so that's going to be very interesting indeed um, I don't think we're going to get anything from it because I genuinely feel that they're going to be very PR centric on this and they're not going to say anything that's going to ruffle any feathers because there's a lot, there's been a, a massive amount of backlash towards this move and rightly so because I feel like Kvyat had done a tremendous job and I've, I've, I've been very, very high on Kvyat since he got here. Kvyat is the, is the prime example of what happens when you maximise your opportunities and, you know, a guy that was, you know, not the fan favourite when he was promoted into Formula 1 in the first place over um, Antonio Felix de Costa who was the sexy pick but they went with Kvyat instead Kvyat turned out to be very good his rookie season you know was given the opportunity over Vern to join Red Bull was very good at Red Bull last season and now he's got Red Bull's only podium for the year so far and he gets demoted Formula 1 is a cruel and mysterious sport sometimes Speaking of, really is. speaking of which, his fans aren't much better either sometimes, as proven by uh, a, a, a sad story. And you know what? I, I don't... I, I'm embarrassed even having to talk about it. This is a follow-up from last week's show with, with Sarah, and we talked about the nature of conspiracy theories and that Hamilton kind of left the door open for criticism last week when he didn't flat-out deny that Mercs weren't rigging the cars regarding performance, regarding you know the bad luck that Hamilton has had so far this season and just regarding in general... Um, just how he just how you know the season has played out so far and if you dodge all the monster energy branding and uh, generic instagram shitty facebook posts he puts up on his facebook page he put another statement up regarding this um on the 6th of may which was uh, just under a week ago now um so what was that last friday he put this statement up of uh, and i quote dear all i want you to know how grateful i am for all your support i'd like to ask you that you please trust in my team as i do this is my family these guys have been the greatest hardest working people for me and th- and that is why i am now a three-time world champion please don't put any more thought into my team doing anything unjust towards me and understand that it would be in no one's best interest for that to be the case we've had the best three years together and whilst it's not going to plan right now all will unfold in its own time i trust these guys 1000 percent, and my mechanics are incredible the best in the business i respect them so please do the same they are the guys that are going to make this make winning this championship possible thank you once again love team lh he wasn't saying that at Monaco last season <laughs> oh <laughs> oh sick bird but um it was that, and it was all. It was that was the. I think it was two days after Merck's released a statement. I think it was the Monday or Tuesday after Russia, where they put a statement on their website. It's a, it's a, it's a very powerful, well written letter by the Merck's team, and it, it made me sad reading said post that, and King, I'm sure you can read this being the Nico Rosberg fan, and I know. Rosberg's not had the greatest luck in the world since he since joining. No, he's, he's, you could argue his entire career has been kind of unlucky, being in the shadow of his dad, being in the shadow of Schumacher, and now Hamilton joining. He's not quite been as good as one as one of the great drivers of our time. But um, 
when it comes to race fixings and allegations, isn't it just kind of sad that Mercs have to put out such a passionate, well-meaning statement against a sector of the audience that clearly aren't thinking straight? It just it just makes me feel sad more than anything else. Oh, I mean, it, it's sad. It's it's these people who who lodge these conspiracy theories against the team clearly are not thinking about this rationally. They're thinking about this as the average sports fan, which is uh, I I don't even want to say that it's fair. It's it's it, it's I, I wouldn't even say that the traditional sports fan. It's almost like the traditional sports. Uh, and I use this term specifically, sports fanboy or fan girl. And, and I distinguish that by, you know, if you're a fan, you know, I consider us fans of the industry, fans of the motorsport. Um, but if you're that devoted and that dedicated, you will literally not be able to believe that it is just bad luck or it is just that your driver has, has not had a, such a good run of form. There's got to be more to it than that. There's got to be a conspiracy. There's got to be this, that yeah. and the other. And especially in the incredibly, let's be real here, the incredibly patriotic British fan base and media, they're incredibly tribal uh, and they have been hyped up that way. And, you know, there's no way that obviously as soon as, you know, as soon as things are going wrong for Lewis and Hamilton, well, he's at a German team. He's got a German team of course oh, it's conspiracy it's, it, it's, it's gone yeah I was saying it was like my mum was like a casual Formula 1 watch she, she'll watch every once in a while she knows the drivers she knows of Lewis Hamilton an awful lot because of the nature of him being a full legit mainstream celebrity in this country these days but she told me something very poignant when I told her this story she said to me and I quote Dre when you realise that fan is a short way of saying fanatic some of this behaviour really shouldn't <laughs> surprise you and he was absolutely right and very wise very wise there, there's, a, there's a similar quote in the wrestling industry yeah. about not being a mark for the industry mm-hmm. or a mark for yourself as in a fanboy for yourself or the industry because the industry can be cruel sometimes it's not always going to be perfect but mm. you've got to be able to love love the industry and love what you do but not take that too far you've still got to be balanced and you've still got to keep a level head indeed so. and it's 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 frustrating because i mean let's be real look at what happened last year with valentino rossi mm-hmm. goodness me yeah, exactly and i don't even want to i don't even want to address that on this show quite frankly because it's just horseshit and then on every level but for me it just like i read that letter and I, it just made me sad and it it was like people don't often see the fact that it's not just the people on track. It's hundreds and hundreds of people coming together, working massive hours, working overnight. I mean, we, I mean, we mentioned this last week. The effort it took to fix Hamilton's car the day of Sochi to make sure he could start from P10 and not start from the back was ridiculous. And <laughs> they pulled an all-nighter effectively, didn't they? Yeah, they pulled an all-nighter. They had to, they had to fly in his fuel update through via private jet to make sure you know, the, up, the new upgrade would work with the old engine that they had and then so we could start the race from P10 and they, they didn't have to brake park Fermi to fix the car so we could start from P10 and not from the back or from the pit lane and it's sad it's sad because they said it before Mercs are actually in the middle of you know scoring as many points as they did last year 
They have twice as many points as Ferrari in second in the constructors right now. Mercs are being even more dominant than what we've seen in the past, if that wasn't already possible. Mercs are pushing the boundaries of what's possible in this sport. And love them or hate them for a competitive balance or for one driver over the other or whatever you want to say, don't hate the player, hate the game, quite frankly. And... They have done an unbelievable job in building one of the most dominant, ridiculous racing cars we've ever seen. And by having two world-class drivers with, you know, a combined over 60 wins between them. And it's it's an incredible unit. And we should be we should be doffing our caps and respecting them for doing such an incredible job. And it's something I think we very easily lose sight of in this business because we are fans. We are fanatics. We're bloodthirsty. We want entertainment. We want brilliant races. We want battles for the front, battles in the midfield, battles at the back. We want as much entertainment as possible out of our sport. And, you know, that's natural for fans to think like that. And I understand that to a degree. But when you're sending them hate for illogical bullshit like oh they're rigging it so Rosberg wins German team German champion when the team is based in friggin Brackley (laughs) and no one ever said the team was conspiring to help Hamilton out but no because the nature of Hamilton fans and I don't care what the anti-Hamilton crowd wants to tell me that all the haters the the haters are worse than the fans no I'm sorry the fanboys are always worse so they don't care what anyone wants to tell me that's what I mean about fanboys man it doesn't matter where if you're talking about music culture fucking anime sport whatever the haters are not worse the fanboys are always worse because it it leads to angry reactions from other people because they they, they have their head up Hamilton's arse that's not my problem okay I don't care what the fans are always worse because it it like, like your yeah. mum said, fanatics. Exactly. You can't reason with them. The whole thing just reeks to me of just, it's just a perpetual feedback loop. Hamilton fans feel like their boy's being slighted. And of course, they're going to think because we've got me. It's fair to say that Hamilton is the better driver out of him and Rosberg. He's 3 0 against Rosberg since they joined, since he joined Mercedes in 2013. It's fair to say that Hamilton, I think, is a better driver than Rosberg. So, of course, if whenever Rosberg goes on a run like this or whenever he starts winning, because people will say, oh, he's worse than Hamilton, people will feel like Hamilton's been slighted. Especially after, like, I I, I got tweets from friends of mine telling me that, oh, well, well, Rosberg's not beaten Hamilton in a fair fight this season, as if Australia never happened, where (laughs) Rosberg put the exact same aggressive move on Hamilton that Hamilton did to him in Japan, and we were all praising Hamilton for it, and we were all condemning Rosberg for saying, oh, he doesn't have the mental game to be world champion. Rosberg does the exact same thing at Australia, and we're like, oh, well, Hamilton was unlucky. No, Hamilton had a shit start, and he got punished for it. And Australia, a track where you can't really pass people, it came to bite him in the arse. Do you know one thing I've realised, one thing I've learned in my many 24 years on this planet? Mm. No one likes being told they're wrong. No. <laughs> people, people like being wrong and strong. I would know. I'm, a, I'm one of the most stubborn people you will ever see in your life. I, and I have no shame in admitting that on my 23 years on this earth. Yes, I, yes. No, I, I still remember like mm. our first interactions with, with each other were in YouTube comments, and I'm pretty sure you blocked me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yep. Yep. I hope I, I tell people this is a fun story. People say, like, Jerry, how did he end up meeting Ryan? Well, yeah, there's a story I booked him on Twitter like four years ago. And, <laughs> and they can't believe I, I tell that. them that. And it's, it's, it's one of the fun stories. You know, I was I was an arrogant dickwad back then. And to be fair, I think I still am now to a degree. Just I'm a, I'm a, I'm a bit more rational about it. And I know people often say, oh, Dre, you're a contrarian. Dre, you go against the grain. Dre, why does the F1 subreddit hate you so much? But... I, I have confidence in what I say and like I see enough of, of, of F1 from a social media standpoint from my perspective to say that if Hamilton fans if Hamilton fanboys and fangirls weren't making these conspiracies you wouldn't be getting such aggression from the other side of the pile telling people how wrong they are because you know what we've had nothing but Hamilton fanatism from Sky from its fans who feed off that because it's the only real life provider of TV these days it's like I said, it's just, it's the Hamilton, I called it the Hamilton effect. And that's why I called it on my own website when I wrote about it. I said it was the Hamilton effect where we don't know how to deal with Lewis Hamilton anymore. And it's having an awful spillover on his team, on Nico Rosberg's inability. Because like I said, Rosberg has won seven straight races. Why are we not talking about this more? Oh, because we all think he's worse than Hamilton and therefore he's gotten lucky, basically. The thing is with motorsport, what's so frustrating and what so many people forget or don't understand a lot of the time is, like you said earlier, it's never about just about one guy versus another guy. It's not like boxing or something. Whenever Lewis Hamilton goes out on the track and whenever he wins, it's not just him who's done that work. He has an entire crew. He has an engineer. He has the Mercedes team that have worked on his and Rosberg's cars and have put them out there to do it. He's had probably good fortune. He's had to ride it. He's had his own skill. He's had great pit stops. He's had a wealth of people. And that's why it's those people that they are often, the drivers themselves are often the first to thank when they win a race because they know they couldn't do it without them. It is not just 1v1 as is so often painted out. It is not just a battle of individuals. And, you know, like this is, there are many, many reasons why, and, and what other people can't seem to accept either is that, guess what? Fortunes fluctuate. Even Michael Schumacher had bad years sometimes. Even Ayrton Senna had dodgy races where he wasn't at his best. Yeah. I mean, remember Mexico last year for Sebastian Vettel? Oh, boy, Vettel? <laughs> My goodness, that was that was a shocker. Everyone has their bad days. It happens. Nico Rosberg is on a better run of form right now than Lewis Hamilton. It's fine. Lewis Hamilton is probably the better driver overall. Right now, Nico Rosberg's in the better stretch of form. That's okay. That's not some world-crushing conspiracy. That's not some weird thing that's happened. It's just how sports works. I mean, explain the fact that on paper, Leicester should have finished 20th in the Premier League this year, and they've just won it. Yeah. Oh, conspiracy. Yeah, hacks. Man, Man City threw their games. Yeah. Mm. We want a new winner, so let's let's all rig the league so that Leicester City win. <laughs> let's it's, massively it's, rig the Premier League. Yeah, yeah let's do that. It's, it's embarrassing, and I don't even want to talk about it much more. Than, again, like I said, I'm embarrassed as an F1 fan that Mercedes, like I said, one of the great teams in F1 history and one of the most dominant car makers we've ever seen in this sport. That are, like again, it's easy to it's easy to point the finger and say, oh, they're doing terrible things because they're winning. They're, no, they're doing their jobs better than everybody else are. And that's that's the long <laughs> and the short of it. And they deserve praise and credit for what they have done. And mm. 
again, like I said before, they've won 36 out of the 42 hybrid era races we've had since its inception. And that's an, un- like no one's done that before. No <laughs> factory has had that kind of run of just ridiculousness already. And what this reminds me of a little bit, what this whole thing reminds me of, and you just mentioned it with Mercedes being dominant. And it, you know, it's always an easy scapegoat to blame the dominant team or driver on why a most, on why a sport is falling down. You know, we had this in V8 supercars, Jamie Wincup, when he was winning championships just endlessly every single year and he had the best response possible tell everyone else to be better I'm I'm the best at the moment I'm sorry I can't help that get angry with everyone else for not beating me Mm -hmm. I guess Mm -hmm. if you want to go that way and Jimmy Johnson when he won uh, like five straight uh, NASCAR Spring Cup championships in the late 2000s again people tried to pin all of NASCAR's problems on him to the point that now I don't know if he still does it he came up with an ironic hashtag blame JJ like blame me for all the everything that's going wrong any problems you have blame me because it's clearly my fault for winning all these NASCAR championships hey Mm -hmm. there you go so he made a joke of it but again it's not their fault don't hate the player. Hate the game. Yeah. Moving, As you said. moving on very swiftly because... Yeah, I was going to say, let's not talk about this anymore. Because quite frankly, anyone that still thinks there's a conspiracy out there can kiss my Jamaican ass. quite frankly. Um, <laughs> that, Boom. Uh, there'll, be, there'll be a cue. I don't care. Make it happen. <laughs> but... Uh, to brighter news, F1 sponsorship and, hey. and Heineken potentially joining F1 as a sponsor. Now, this was interesting, and it's one that uh, caught my eye. Um, and the quote was, uh, a five-year deal that could be worth $150 million. Um, F- Heineken said to be a major series sponsor and also included this quote. Unusually for a trackside deal, the Heineken agreement is said to include provision for a degree of partnership with an F1 team. Several teams have been issued with requests for proposals from Heineken, whereby the team making the best pitch to the brewer would receive its revenues. It is likely, therefore, that a successful team will carry some kind of Heineken branding. Now, Autosport published that story about six to eight hours ago at the time of recording. They have since pulled that story off their site in that time. So... Clearly, something has happened behind the scenes to the, obviously, that's obviously so drastic that Autosport thought this story was no longer worth running, King. But very interesting to hear that not only are we getting a, a major sponsor, a major, a major potential new sponsor for the series, but also one that could be, you know, basically almost setting up like a contest. Like, who can give us the best pitch and why we should partner up with you? It's like some kind of reality TV contest. Where's Simon Cowell at? <laughs> <laughs> like, it's it's interesting. It's it's very interesting. Like, obviously, each team's going to have their pitch. Mercedes is probably going to have Lewis Hamilton and DJ Khaled come out to all we all I do is win. Like... <laughs> Manners like we're we're plucky and we try hard, but this is it's it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. Like a hundred and fifty million dollars, I assume it's gonna be split over five years, so it's gonna be thirty million. What it's gonna be thirty million a year, so that's still a large amount of money for form to be put into Formula One, and it'll definitely help out everyone as a whole, but. It'll be interesting. To, it'll be interesting. To, <laughs> it will be interesting to see which one of the teams gets direct support from Heineken because obviously they're gonna being the direct sponsor. They're gonna receive the most funding. So, VJ, mm. correction. Oh, good question. Should I say? Isn't that a massive conflict of interest though? 
Uh, how so? Being a sponsor of the series and a team, a la Verizon and Penske and Indica. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's fair point. Okay, I'll give you that. I mean, all I know is, like, it, most of the time, if you've got a title sponsor, it doesn't normally, it normally sticks out. Like, I know in, in NASCAR, when uh, Sprint... Uh, or Nextel, Sprint Nextel came in, they actually had issues with other phone companies or suppliers like Verizon, like Singular Wireless, uh, like Altel, them being in the sport and basically shooed them out. And generally, Sprint has not been on the cars themselves. The closest I think we got is we've had Xfinity Comcast on uh, a couple of cars in Cup, and of course, they're the sponsors of the second tier. Yeah. So, yeah, I don't know. It's probably nothing, but... Uh, having just come off a segment talking about conspiracy theorists in the fan base, man, they're going to be all up in this grill if they end up like sponsoring Mercedes or something. Oh my God. Oh, oh that's convenient. Title sponsor sponsoring Mercedes. <laughs> conspiracy. <laughs> well, it's, it's not going to be a title sponsor because F1 has never had a title sponsor. Like, <laughs> Yeah, to be fair, it's not going to be the Formula One Heineken Sprint Cup Series. <laughs> oh God. A very uh, American. It'll be a similar deal to like how they have with like Pirelli or Rolex for Trackside advertising. Yeah, true. Yeah, true. yeah. So that's interesting. I can't wait to hear those pitches. Like you said, like we have, we have Mercedes and all I do is win. We have Manor being plucky and, 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 and you know, what, yeah, we're the underdogs. You could have Red Bull coming out saying, we, we got the greatest young driver to ever grace the sport since. Oh, wait, we had one of those guys the other time too. And then um, one Red Bull hiding the fact that they also sell, you know, liquid. <laughs> Yeah, that could be a problem. Yeah, that's that, that. That could be a bit of a clash in the space. Just imagine the scene going in there, just like the Red Bull guys, just looking at Max, like, "Hey, you're you're the kind of guy that's into this sort of stuff. Can you mix Heineken and Red Bull? Is that like a? <laughs> oh, it's like no. It's what like you're you Heineken's a beer, Red Bull's an energy drink. What are you on about? Well, I don't know. You're the young man. You go out drinking and clubbing and stuff. You should know. Yeah, it's like, like yeah, it's like. Hang can you have a Heineken bomb? No, they're Jaeger bombs. Oh God, Johnson would know, wouldn't he? <laughs> like, seriously, no comment. like seriously imagine like imagine if for, imagine Force India's which would just be a rolling tumbleweed wouldn't it yeah <laughs> and here's owner VJ Malia oh wait he's in a prison cell shit wait where's, where's Nico <laughs> oh he's he's still kind of looking into the sky melancholically <laughs> and humming the Italian national anthem oh jeez well, that'd be fun so yeah Britain's got the X Factor coming soon to Formula 1 finally before we move on to, to the two wheeled world this is going to be one between Johnson and King, but... Uh, oh, yes, it is. Roman Grosjean has, has been hinted at uh, Stuart Haas Racing. He could be going over there for a, for a NASCAR round next year. Go on, Johnson. This is your segment. Let her rip. Mm, this is me. Thank you very much. Uh, basically, the story here is that... And we all knew this might be a possibility because, uh, obviously... Haas F1 came from the, pretty much the same place as Stuart Haas Racing came in NASCAR. They're a championship winning team over there. And inevitably, people have started going, well, hang on a minute. They've got a team in Formula One. They've got a team in NASCAR. When is the crossover going to happen? Tony Stewart, co-owner of Stuart Haas Racing, of course, in NASCAR, has hinted at this before. Roman, Roman Grosjean's teased it before. And now we're hearing actively that this could be a thing that is happening. And when you look at the dates... Watkins Glen is in the Formula One summer break. This is one of the wildest NASCAR Spring Cup Series rounds of the year, historically. 2011, 2012, and 2014 were three of the best NASCAR races of the last 10 years. So, and this is likely, <clears throat> because I thought at first, King, 
that this would be uh, like, for example, Dale Earnhardt Jr. teased getting Daniel Ricciardo in to run an Xfinity Series race with his team, uh, Junior Motorsports. But King, it appears to me they want to go all in on this one. They want to get a cup car and they want to run Grosjean in the cup race. It's going to be wild if it happens. Yeah, it will definitely be wild uh, to see any NASCAR driver make the move make any one-off appearance in a NASA in a NASCAR event as an active Formula One driver where that'd be something you know you would never hear of period like oh I think the closest what the closest we ever got to that recently was like Kimi Raikkonen running in the truck series that one year Ferrari paid him not to be an F1 yeah, pretty much when he was on sabbatical anyway. I mean, like, it, it feels to me, and I wonder if this has all become of a legacy of it. Obviously, last year, Nico Hockenberg went to Le Mans, one with Ferrari. Uh, not Ferrari, what am I talking about? Uh, that's the Formula 1 team he wishes he was at. Sorry, Nico. Um, <laughs> he won the Porsche at Le Mans, so of course. mean, Johnson. Jesus Christ. I'm, I'm Nico's biggest fan. I feel sorry for him at this point. This, this, um, this, is, this is emotional masochism right here. You reminded us all that Hockenberg will never end up driving a top-tier car. What is wrong with you? No. I'm just I, I've kind of accepted it now Stop I'm at peace with it <laughs> but anyway I, I wonder King if a lot of this is coming from you know seeing or Nico going to Le Mans winning with Porsche and suddenly seeing a, an active Formula 1 driver outside of Formula 1 in a current major racing series which you haven't seen in a long time you have to go back to like the 80s and maybe the early 90s for when Formula 1 drivers would occasionally guest outside of their sport I mean famously Nigel Mansell made some cameos in British Touring Car Championship but his most famous ones came after he'd already retired from Formula 1 so it just seems ever since um, Hulkenberg's run at Le Mans last year the idea of Formula 1 drivers suddenly not exclusively being tied down to Formula 1 for the entire year and maybe being able to do one-off cameos elsewhere it seems to have lightened up a bit Alonso T's potentially going to Le Mans but the clash with uh, Baku means that won't happen this year we've already had Ricardo being teased for NASCAR and now Grosjean for NASCAR this is Interesting times. Yeah, definitely interesting times. To me, it feels like the drivers always wanted to do it. I think it's more, it was more of a question for their, you know, teams and sponsors, whether this would be, you know, a viable thing to do. And whether it'd be worthwhile, what they'd get out of it in terms of exposure of the brand and, you know, bringing people back. Because obviously you don't want people bringing, you know, bringing fans over to a rival of your product. But at the same time, Grosjean appearing in NASCAR. Hey, Bernie's wanted to crack America for years, hasn't he? Imagine that. NASCAR, the biggest motorsport audience in America and one of the biggest in the world, um, suddenly sees a current Formula One driver racing in there, mixing it up, and they go, oh, when's the American Grand Prix? Oh, it's in a couple of weeks' time. I might I might lock into that. So it might it might just funnel back to Formula they One. Had, and of course, they, had, they, had, they, had Haas, they They, 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 they kind of had Montoya for that that did, didn't really work out that way, but... You know, carry on. <laughs> well, you know, what you know about? Montoya never went to Na- well. Montoya went to NASCAR after he finished in Formula One. Yeah, he, he rage quit F one and left. <laughs> Shut up, Barry. It sound it sounded cool. Sound sound you just go back to Corey Mumble for a bit more. But anyway, I mean, for for Haas himself, it's win win because hey, huge brand, and he's got his drivers crossing over. Um, and in, in lieu of it being very unlikely for his NASCAR drivers to make a cameo in Formula One, why not go the other way? Yeah. Yeah. Mm. And it seems like it's most likely going to be the Watkins race weekend because the only other possible date he would be able to do where he would even be, you know, competitive would be uh, the Xfinity Series race at Mid-Ohio. Yes, 
ex- the, the second division also goes to Road America, but that clashes with the Belgian Grand Prix, so he wouldn't be able to do that roll round. Yeah, that's a no go. So they're hoping for it's, Watkins Glen, and they're hoping him to get in a car. In, in a car in some degree, and Grosjean feels like it would be a fun weekend out, and he would he thinks he would be competitive. Well, well, I mean, that's the thing. Historically, open-wheel drivers have struggled coming across to NASCAR. I mean, we've seen it with IndyCar people. Danica Patrick has adapted quite well, but even guys like Sam Hornish. Um, Paul Tracy did NASCAR for a little while. Daria Franchitti had a botched attempt at it in 2008. So I think Grosjean would really have to work hard to hit the ground running. Historically, the guys who've worked out best coming over from other sports have been guys who've come over from touring cars. I mean, someone like Marcus Ambrose. Hey, V8 Supercars is almost NASCAR on road courses in Australia, isn't it? Yes. Um, but I, I just think the, the marquee attraction of seeing Grosjean in a stock car is would be wild. And as I say, Watkins Glen is one of the highest, you know, most anticipated races in the Spring Cup calendar. So it's a win-win for everyone. I, you know, even if he piles off at the first corner, hey, he gave it a go. Didn't work out, but hey, Formula One driver does NASCAR. It's a great story, yeah, isn't yeah. it? And him Should being be. Grosjean, he he better have like a Perrier Olivier, a Perrier car, just like <laughs> just like oh, just like Sasha Baron Cohen's character and Ricky Bobby. Oh god, his name, his name. Just... Well, Kurt Busch did run a, a Ricky Bobby car a few years <laughs> yes. back, the Wonder Bread car. Yes. He... <laughs> so someone will have that idea. Someone will pitch that idea to Grosjean, and Grosjean will probably go. No, shut up. Dre, you can have your show back now. We've sunk to Ricky Bobby references here on Motorsport 101. (laughs) I'm now about to jump out of the window like that gif in the IT crowd. Um, (laughs) (laughs) MotoGP, everybody. And... uh, I, I'm not even. I'm barely going to talk about the race because let's be honest, it it was it was a it was a bore fest. It was it was unfortunately that's what happens when Jorge Lorenzo goes round France. It's, it was his sixth Le Mans victory. He absolutely loves it here. He's won here at Le Mans six times in his MotoGP career now, and this was his biggest ever margin of victory for a dry Grand Prix. Over ten second margin of victory between him and teammate Valentino Rossi, who was caught up in a bad start, had to fight his way through the field, but eventually would come through to finish second um, with a little bit of help of uh, Dovi and Marquez completely crashing at the exact same time behind him, which is still one of the freakiest things you will ever see. It's like Rossi deployed an oil slick behind him. It was really weird like that. But um, a great weekend for Lorenzo. He leads the world championship. He now takes the all-time pole position lead with 63 ahead of Rossi, 62. Um so Lorenzo with a Grand Slam victory, just a completely dominant from start to finish, King. And uh, this season feels kind of ominous now, doesn't it, really? It's like you can, you can just feel the Imperial March being played with Jorge Lorenzo's flag being flown in the background. Yeah. <laughs> and it just makes it seem so much worse that he's leaving to Ducati. Yeah, it's like, great, he's going to dominate again, and he's going to check it. What? <laughs> Why? But um, essentially, yeah, that's how it feels right now. And, I mean, uh, looking at the calendar, given the issues that Honda have going forward, I mean, I said it on the podcast a month ago. I said the next three races with the side of Marquez is a true contender. And he, he crashed with, you know... He crashed with, with, with a handful of laps to go in the race, and next thing you know, he's got a DNF on his name, and now Lorenzo's back in control, and that's not what he wants. He, like, Marquez shouldn't be chasing, and he's, there's not very many races, in my opinion, on the calendar that straight up 
you know, Marquez would prefer on the Honda. Like, Indianapolis, one of his signature tracks is gone. Like, the Saxon Ring might be the only track left on the calendar, I would say Marquez is definitely going to win. And that is terrifying going forward because Rossi is very strong at Assen, which is coming up in a month's time. And you've got Catalina next, where Lorenzo and Rossi were a mile ahead of everybody else last year, especially after Marquez binned it on the second lap. So... We got that. We got Mugello coming up soon, and it's it's again it's it's Yamaha tracks going forward. So it's going to be, uh, ugh, it's going to be blah. <laughs> You're not looking forward to it. No, and I, I'll be honest with you here. Like this has not been a good MotoGP season so far, in my opinion. Like Argentina was crazy, Qatar was a bit tense, but. We've had tracks so far this season where one factory has dominated over the other one, and most of the time it's been Yamaha so far this season. I mean, Marquez is very strong at Argentina. He's very strong at Cota when he won back-to-back races, but those were two of Marquez's strongest tracks anyway. So he was always going to be favourite for those two rounds. Going forward is where it's going to start having problems, and that's what worries me going forward. It worries me that like Yamaha will rack up five or six more wins before the Saxon in the summer break Marquez will probably win it in Germany before the summer break and yeah I got a feeling that's just going to run away with it and that just worries me going forward but there was some positives in the field there and King you talking very strongly about Ian Oney yeah. <laughs> who was on the, oh dear who, like, who was the third man on the podium again King tell me um he appears to have forgotten I'll, I'll, I'll give you a hint he also rides a blue bike likes uh, Top Gun yeah, I've been he, he'll, he'll be your wingman anytime, King. <laughs> yes. Oh. yes. Yes. Editing Adam, please put a drum roll in there. <laughs> yeah. Maverick Vinales, his first MotoGP podium. Uh, Suzuki's first since the Czech Republic Grand Prix of Bruno back in 2008. Um, there's, there's me doing some research before the show. Look at me being all productive. But uh, yeah, Maverick's first Suzuki podium, a brilliant ride. And again, it's it was very much a weekend where a lot of people were talking about Maverick in general, Johnson. And the big story going was it it was confirmed Yamaha had given Maverick a contract offer um, and now he's been sitting here choosing between Yamaha and Suzuki and um, we had similar conversations to this when Jorge Lorenzo's situation was up in the air about whether to go to Ducati or not after the after the bad feeling in the Yamaha camp what do you think Maverick should do because it's clear he's got two he's got two offers on the table apparently Suzuki pays a lot more Yamaha don't want to go and open up the whole boat for him just yet but we all know Yamaha's a much stronger bike than Suzuki right now what do you do if you're Maverick well, I think you answered your own question there in that you have to go with, because, you know, the whole thing, basically a lot of time when you, silly season in motorsport is about betting the house on where you think is going to be the best place for you at that time. And, you know, Lorenzo is backing himself because he knows he's achieved everything at the top bikes at the top teams. Now he is backing himself to be able to make that Ducati into a championship winning bike. Vinales is at the situation in his career where he needs to get the best bike under him right now uh, because he knows he's got the talent or he'll he'll always back himself and he's got other people who are recognizing that talent so surely if Yamaha is the dominant bike at the moment and it doesn't you know Honda have tried closing the gap haven't been able to do so Ducati have tried for years haven't been able to do so Suzuki are there or thereabouts 
you have to go with Yamaha, don't you? Surely. Uh, although the only thing is, you're going to be in potentially the biggest shadow in all of motorsport, aren't you? So, yeah. I mean, imagine if Vinales goes in there and upsets the champ, upsets the goat. No, I'm going to be real. Unthinkable, yeah, isn't I'm it? I'm going to be real here. Like, I don't like BT Sports coverage of MotoGP. I think there's too many egomaniacs and Rossi fanatics in that camp for me, but... It does get pretty tribal, doesn't it? it? <laughs> yes, yes, it does. Understatement of the sentence. No, no, no shit, Johnson. But uh, yeah, basically, <laughs> but, but, but basically, Hodson did make a couple of Neil Hodson made a couple of valid points, especially where he said that he feels like if Maverick goes in there and plays his cards right, he could off he could take some of Rossi's fans when Rossi hangs it up. Most likely at the end of 2018. Um, but on the other side, there was one decent opposing view from MotoGP Hall of Famer Kevin Schwartz, who's been a big advisory role and mentor in the Suzuki camp and. And he feels like Maverick should try and stay and build Suzuki into a future, you know, powerhouse factory team and have him be the spearheading figure for that team and as team leader going forward. And King, I know you're an American. I know you obviously have a lot of respect for Kevin Schwartz and, you know, a very historic figure in terms of, you know, American bike racing and whatnot. And like, do you share his sentiments? What, like, what, do you, what do you feel on this Maverick versus Yamaha, Suzuki v. Yamaha de- debate? Do you stay with Suzuki and build a super team or try and build a super team? Or do you take the best bike on the table and try and win? I mean, what side of the fence are you on here? Oh, God. If, if I were Maverick, that, that, that's a very difficult It sounds question. like a new segment for the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean... Yes, yeah, so you could go to you go to you could go to Yamaha, be on the best bike, but you have to be teammates with Valentino Rossi, or you could try to work with what you got at Suzuki, and it's uh like I'd rather be in in Rossi's shadow and uh, hope you get a better hand on him because yes, you hope things improve at Suzuki, but. Do you really think that Yamaha is going to have an off year and build a terrible bike? That's the thing. You're effectively gambling on Yamaha stumbling and Suzuki making up that massive gap in a year or so's time. Because Maverick finished 16 seconds behind Lorenzo in that third place at Le Mans this time around. I mean, Suzuki have definitely improved from where they were last year. They're now perennially in the top six, and I think they, I think they'll get more podiums in the in the future. I think they will. I think you know, some someone in the factories are going to have bad days. Ducati's been scrappy this season. Honda obviously has has. Marquez and a lot of the times like Mavericks have been on Pedrosa's heels a lot of this season but they're not race winners yet and for me that's why I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the I'm on the side of both of you guys I think that the Yamaha move is a no-brainer I think if he just goes in there plays his cards right he'll take a lot of Rossi's fans I think he'll be the team leader going forward and that is the best all-round package on the grid right now and he will win races immediately uh, in my opinion so I think if you're Maverick I don't care what the money is go there earn your keep and get an enormous frigging contract when you win a championship eventually that's that's my attitude towards it you know short-term pain relatively speaking for long-term gain even if suzuki are willing to open the floodgates to try and keep him but uh moving on from that the more some more um city season stuff i mean there's obviously big prospects i mean there was a big rumor about pedrosa going over to yamaha but it was quite it was 
quite quickly kiboshed by Livio Supo at Honda saying that Pedrosa's spoken to him, his agent's spoken to him and they said they want to keep him. That's their first priority is him staying. I don't know why, but uh, <laughs> Pedrosa wants to stick around at Honda after 11 years with them already as it is. Um, the possibility of other guys joining, and this is a big one because Jonas Volga was announced on Friday. Jonas Volga has been confirmed to be joining Tech 3, Yamaha's development team and a satellite team for next season, King. And I know you're a big KTM fanboy, and I know that um, Volga's one of those guys that uh, has always been established with that camp. And uh, interesting move for Volga going forward, I think, especially given that it looks like Alex Rins will be joining him next year. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very interesting move to to go to Tech 3. And I don't know, part of me was hoping that Jonas Vogler would be on the other bike at KTM, but Mm. obviously that's not going to be a possibility. It made perfect sense with the Red Bull sponsorship that he's had since he started as a Red Bull rookie and uh, all that. You you thought Vogler going to KTM was almost like nailed on, but nope. Yeah, and I... And I have a feeling that's why Honda decided to open up and be like, yeah, we're trying to keep Danny Pedrosa because now that Volger is not the guaranteed guy on the other bike at, at KTM, it, it opens up more possibilities for them to look out and sign veteran riders. It is indeed because, again, because uh, uh, like, King said wait, that beautifully for me because... One of the names that was most hyped up for this was Johan Zarco with that KTM seat, the reigning Moto2 world champion. Given that uh, Akiyo was in charge of the KTM project, he was yeah, he's got affiliations of Red Bull. Io wants to have bikes in all three classes and the juniors, so he can have a system where he could just push guys up his own ladder, essentially. And having a KTM there, they've already got Bradley Smith confirmed for one of their bikes. And, you know, Zarko would have been an ideal second guy, in my opinion. But no, Zarko is confirmed to be testing the Suzuki uh, later this month. He is going to be riding for Suzuki during the eight hours at Suzuka uh, later in the year. And it looks like he's got a satellite deal on the table with Suzuki. So either he'll be joining the factory team next year um, for the for Mavericks slot or possibly as a 24th bike runner in the field as a satellite Suzuki so I think Suzuki are keen to have another GSX RR out there at some point Johnson and is some of the has some of the hype for this gone down with Zarco given that his Moto2 season so far has not been particularly good you know when somebody comes to you know a title defense a bit like last year with Rabat seems to be repeating itself with Johan Zarco and Rin seems to be the hot commodity is this is this a, is this a wise move uh, it's a difficult one, isn't it? Because, like, <clears throat> we all know in motorsport, you're only as good as your last race. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing how reputations can, you know, just flop so quickly. And with these... Uh, and it's it's fascinating how the silly season for MotoGP is playing out in so many different ways. It's It really is like a domino pile at this point. Um, and with the incredible list of talent, it, I mean... As, you know, as recently as last year, Zarko was pretty much one of those names you kept talking about every single time. Whenever I listen into Bike Live, that was one of the drums that you guys would bang ferociously. And now, me hearing that his, his star has faded somehow, it's hard to believe. But again, mm. you are literally only ever as good as your last as your last race. So in a lot of times, you know, going back to what we were talking about Vinales, sometimes you have to take the best opportunity you can get because if you dare wait around it may not come again or yeah. if that chance comes around for you again 
they may not look at you the same way again. I mean, it's, uh, it's an incredibly fickle world up there, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, indeed. And I think I think Zarko is selling high on what he's got right now because yeah, like, he has to. Like the championship leader last round was Sam Lowe's. It's now Alex Rins, and it's it's kind of deflated a lot of the hype in the Moto Two season in general because. The top four in the championship are now all confirmed or near or less confirmed to be in MotoGP next year. Um, championship leader Alex Rins is probably going to tech three. Sarko is going to be in the field in some capacity with Suzuki most likely next year. Jonas Volga is now at tech three and Samuels is going to be at Aprilia next year. So it's it's just it's 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 just sucked up a lot of the hype for Moto2 and it doesn't get a lot of talk in because the races don't tend to be very good but when all four leading contenders haven't really got a good reason to win the championship it just kind of sucks the life out of everything isn't this also a class where people are starting to question whether it is a a valid proving ground or way of finding top tier talent now indeed and uh, David Emmett said it last week he said like from one established team boss in the field I would not hire anyone from Moto2 it doesn't prepare them now you could make the argument that you know, there's there's two sides to this coin because for every Maverick Vinales, there is a Tito Rabat or a Jack Miller or a guy that just doesn't work out. And I think there is more probably failures overall than successes in MotoGP. But, uh, I mean, where else do you go? The thing is, why I'd argue as well is that is MotoGP as a whole stuck in a flux with how it treats the uh, divisions? Because for the longest time, they were separate tiers. They were separate divisions in the... You know, we saw it last year with Danny Kent. You are a Grand Prix motorcycling world champion if you win in Moto3 or 2. But a lot of people got confused because they were like, hang on a minute, aren't they the development tiers for MotoGP? No, this isn't like the Xfinity Series or the Truck Series in NASCAR. These are all legitimate world championships. But the way it's structured almost feels like they are a development series now. Because mm. like back in the day, you had guys like Cork Ballington who would make their career in, you know, 125cc or 250cc motorcycle Grand Prix racing. And that'd be fine. They have the forays up in the top class, what we now know as MotoGP, but they knew their place, they knew where they were strongest, and they made a career out of it. Nowadays, you know, especially with the age limits involved, they really have put this emphasis on making those divisions feeder series, but they still have a lot of the characteristics of the former class. You know, the Moto3s, the, Moto the, the small bike class, the small engines, the Moto2 is very much the middle division. It's now 600 compared to the, you know... 1,000cc plus in MotoGP. So it seems to me like they're stuck in the middle somewhere. Like MotoGP is really putting the emphasis on funneling everything towards the top class. And yet the other bikes in the other tiers, because they're still from this standalone mentality, if that makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we talked a, we talked a little bit about this last week on, the, on towards the end of the show. And I, I, I mean... You're right, I think to a degree. I think Moto2 doesn't quite know what it wants to be anymore. And I don't like, you're right, it shouldn't be, a, I mean, it shouldn't be a developmental class, but I think that's the way it's going. If you look at how corporations like Mark VDS have got Redin and they used to have Redin, they've now got Raban Miller at the top, but they've got Alex Marquez and, Loren, and um, what's his name, uh, Franco Morbidelli in, um, in, in Moto2, and then they've got their Moto3 team of Jorge Navarro and Aaron Canet, where they're trying to develop riders through the classes now. I mean, Leopard's doing that now with Danny Kent and Oliveira in Moto2, and now Quattararo, Joanne Mir, and um and in, in Moto Three and what they've got, they've got a junior team in the junior championship as well. The tier below the World Moto Three title, they've got the junior title. They have they have rookie teams there, and obviously with Red Bull KTM, they've got the Red Bull Rookies Camp as well, which has generated not a lot of talent. I mean, they've got decent riders. I mean, Johan Zarco was their first world champion 
to come out of the Red Bull Rookies Cup's interception. Jonas Vogel is the other prominent name, but uh, again, it's not really worked out overall, but I think that's definitely the way MotoGP is going. King, you got two cents on this one? Because it seems interesting, because I think, I think Johnson's hit on a valid point here that I feel like the general structure of the class and the way people are treating it is changing, for sure. Yeah, it, like, to me, I do see the other championships as, you know, FIM World Championships, but yeah, it seems are. like the branding itself doesn't doesn't carry that to the to the audience. It doesn't match that, does it? No. It, yeah, feels, it looks and it feels like a development class. Because <laughs> when you call it Moto2 and Moto3 compared to MotoGP, Obviously, your first your first reaction is like, "Oh, GP is more important than the other two. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. It and doesn't come off like it doesn't come off as you you see in like boxing or mixed martial arts where they're just different weight classes. The the heavyweight class is not yeah, absolutely. automatically absolutely. more important than the other classes. And their biggest star is a 145-pound crazy Irishman. So, yeah, there's, there's a lot about their situation. But even so, yeah, I think I completely agree. It's not marketed that way. But that's that's just how it is. But, uh, oh, man. Yeah, Moto2 is a bit in flux at the moment. And it says a lot about the state of their championship, really. But uh, this is interesting to a point as well that Len Morrison uh, suggested. As well. So shout out to Len. Thanks for listening, by the way, and sending in your suggestion. He asked, is this the best Moto3 class ever? And it's it's interesting because we've seen a lot of Moto3 so far. This season. We've had Brad Binder win back-to-back rounds. We've had Powie, you know, win one of the most ridiculous performances we've ever seen. We obviously had Binder's miracle comeback um, in her F a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, we've had... Very talented new rookies as well. Logan Pavi being a rookie. We had Nicolo Belega have a pole position and a podium finish in her ref. We had Aaron Canet challenging for a podium um, over it over at Le Mans last week. Kings, is this the best class we've ever seen from 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 Moto Three? I think it's close. Yeah, it's close. I, I definitely put it up there. Maybe <laughs> top three, top two. Mm-hmm. I've, I mean, for me. I don't know how far your back your memory goes, Johnson, but 2013 is one that sticks out to me. It was the class of Maverick Vinales who won the championship. It had Alex Rins, it had Luis Salom, and then it had Alex Marquez and Jonas Volga knocking on the door as well that year. And I think given that four out of those five guys are going to be in MotoGP next year, I overall think that was probably the strongest class. I think it was a stronger class than Cortese, so that's for sure. Um, last season's class was really only two top quality guys and that was Kenton Oliveira really so for me I feel like this is up there I think there's, I think there's a conversation you can have. I think it's the best rookie class ever I think given that Canet and Belega and you know Mir has had flashes of greatness as well I think it's a very strong rookie class I'm not sure whether it's the best class overall Johnson it's a bold claim to make, isn't it? Yeah. I think you're on the right lines with the best ever rookie class, or one of them anyway. It's, it's certainly a stacked deck. And as we said before, if we're promoting Moto 2 and 3 now, or if they're promoting two, 2 and 3 now as developmental classes, then of course, this high emphasis on the rookies is going to be nothing but good for those championships. Mm-hmm. And it, it feels to me like Moto 3 is almost like Formula 1 in the respect of you, you have a very limited shot window to impress in. Mm-hmm. If you're there, if you lose your seat, it's very hard to get back in, particularly with the age limit now, which which further adds to the impression that they're feeder series. Yeah, um, you, you can no longer make a career down there and be a specialist on the smaller bikes. Um, but 
you know, you, you really have one bite of the cherry and you really have to go for it. And I think that contributes to some of the thrilling racing we have down there because, you know, guys have to make an impression. They don't have long to do it. And they know that, you know, roughly in about one, two, maybe three seasons down there, um, you know, you, you probably know more about this than me, Drake, mm. you know, about guys who have spent a long time in Moto3 and then moved up. But generally, it feels to me like it's only a couple of years, two or three seasons. So I think a lot of people are keen to impress right off the bat and they know it's the competition for the top spots in the divisions above are fierce. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I generally agree. I think that in an ideal world, if you're fast, you're looking to go through the Colossus as quickly as possible. I mean, Jack Miller set a precedent two years ago when he jumped from Moto3 and, and being championship runner-up all the way to MotoGP on a satellite Honda package with Mark VDS. And um, that, 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 that has not gone to plan. I think it's fair to say at this point in time, two years on from that, and he's, as he's in the third and final year of that contract. And, Danny Kent had the, had the possibility of jumping straight up to MotoGP. He turned that down to join, to stay with Leopard for this Moto2 season. That's not working out great for him so far, if I'm honest with you. And again, like, look at Maverick. He did, Maverick did, I think, one season in MotoGP, one, one season in Moto2 and then moved up immediately. Um, what did he do? One or did he do two? Hang on. My mind's drawing a blank. I think he did just the one. I'm pretty sure he did just the one season. He did do the one season. Yeah, he did. Because he was third in the championship behind Rabat and Calio that year. Behind, because then Mott VDS dominated the championship. And Rins is, Rins is in his second season in Moto2, and he will move up at the end of the year. That's almost a dead cert at this point in time. I mean, Lowe's is in his third year. I think, that's the point is, I think there's two types of Moto2 rider. There's the one that goes straight up, one to two seasons, and there's the established, you know, established guy who like Rabat or Zaka that will do four or five seasons and then move up when they've, you know, peaked to their potential basically. But um, yeah. it's, in, it's it's intriguing. I mean, can you go something to say that, mate? Yeah, it's like I was just looking back through historic rookie classes and one rookie class that sticks out was the the 125 class of, of 2002 where the rookie class was, the rookie class was uh, Jorge Lorenzo, Oh, yeah. Jorge Lorenzo, <laughs> uh, uh, Simone, Simone Corsi and uh, Marco Simoncelli. Uh, Danny Pedroza was almost rookie that year, but he debuted in 2001 and not 2002. Uh. So effectively in that class, you've got Lorenzo, Simoncelli, Pedrosa and Corsi. Yeah, that's a bit of a stack yeah. deck. <laughs> Wait, wait, you're using Simone Corsi to enhance your argument here. Um, I'm, not, I'm not sure that's a good move. But then again, he was a 125cc runner-up in the last year of its inception before moving up to Moto2, and he's not really kicked on from there. He's another Cortese, in my opinion, a guy that had great lightweight class success but didn't really kick on from there. Um, a bit like Cortese now, actually, funnily enough. But, uh, yeah, enough about Moto2 and whatnot. We gave, we gave that way longer than I thought we were going to do that. But uh, <laughs> uh, moving on to IndyCar real quick. And King, it looks like I mean we talked to and spoke us about a month ago about the possibility of, you know, IndyCar and, you know, non championship rounds or expanding the calendar to maybe nineteen twenty races and having more races on foreign soil, not so much in, you know, the North American bubble of, you know, maybe Mexico, Canada, etc. Um, it looks like we're gonna be getting that more often now because it it seems like IndyCar is pushing hard for a street race around Beijing in China in October. Well, it, it's not Beijing. It, well, it's it's a different city. It's Qingdao. Okay, no. 
Bad. Yeah, and it's it's a, it's a coastal city in China. Uh, I th- if I recall correctly, they were going to race there in 2012, but the race ended up being canceled for because they couldn't get the race organized in time. Mm-hmm. So, and we, we also we saw they had, they had they tried to do Dubai last year and that didn't work out mostly out of fear of terrorism. But uh, we, you can laugh at that as much as you want, really. But it's not like IndyCar haven't tried this before. They do. They, they do genuinely seem seem keen on more races that aren't in the Americas, so to speak. And King, is this is this the right is this the right going forward? I mean, obviously they, they feel like they can they can make money over there. Otherwise, otherwise they wouldn't even bother having a foreign race in the first place. But is this good for the teams? And then they've got to spend more money on a round that ultimately doesn't really matter unless the sponsor money is going to be great. I mean, it seems like a high risk thing to do in my opinion. Yeah. I mean, it, it is high risk, but usually when IndyCar does an overseas race, overseas race, they're expecting a big payout bigger than what they would expect here in the United States. So if it does happen, uh, there, there should be a payout. Like generally like, uh, the most regular non-championship race that the series have ever had was their usual non-championship race at Surface Paradise in Australia, where they always went down there and they always made a decent amount of money to to justify going. Uh, okay, I see. I never, I never knew they had a non-championship before in Surface Paradise. That's actually quite interesting. But um, well, hang on, wasn't that that was an old uh, that became a champ car? Well, that was a champ car race, and then in two thousand eight, when the series merged, didn't they run that because of contractual obligations? Uh, they run it as a non-championship round. Yeah, they when it, the series merged, uh, Indy the IRL didn't want to keep the race despite it being a stable yeah. of the champ car calendar. Mm-hmm. Inter- okay, that's interesting. That's interesting. So. A, a Chinese street race. Are you keen for that, King? <laughs> uh, oh, God. Re- reading through the article. The race is in Beijing. They, they start off talking about Qingdao because that was the last attempt to race in China. Mm. But, yeah, it's in Beijing. To say it'll be successful, I don't know. Maybe maybe they're looking at, they, they see it, a race in Beijing as being viable because of how... I would say successful the Beijing Epri has been, where where they could say that yeah we could have a race in China and not expect it to completely fall apart. Mm-hmm. That's, that's that's a good point. That is a good point. It's interesting as well. I mean, I, I maybe again maybe maybe formally was their inadvertent tester for something like this. But uh, speaking of IndyCar and uh, circuit developments. Um, well, as we know, last week we talked about this, the, the Boston Grand Prix will not longer be happening, unfortunately. They're looking for alternatives, and uh, apparently, top of the pile, Johnson, is Watkins Glen. Yes, it is. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. <clears throat> uh, <clears throat> yes, be re- reasonable and balanced about this. I'm not a fanboy. Uh, yes, this is great news. If it's true, uh, it's fabulous news for sure, because I think everyone was rather upset with, well, rather disappointed with how the Boston Grand Prix fell apart in the end, how there seemed to be broken promises. Who knows? Well, I don't think we'll ever know whose side was, you know, who's to blame, really. Everyone's sort of pointing fingers around, but uh, I'm impressed in a way with how IndyCar are kind of knuckling down and going, you know what? It's fine. We will get a replacement on the calendar and really in a way this is working out rather nicely and it feels to me like Mark Miles uh, the current IndyCar CEO um, I, I think that's his correct term I, I believe he's one of the authority figures with the series anyway he is doing a great job in terms of really 
helping to kind of reconnect IndyCar and, you know, American open wheel racing back to where it kind of should be. And a lot of people feel like it should be. He's got the round back at Phoenix this year. They're returning to road America after far too long away. Uh, and now it's almost like they're seeing, you know, it's one of those things where it's like, you see crisis, I see opportunity. And like the IndyCar guys are saying, well, Hey, Boston's not happening. Let's use it as an opportunity to return to a track that we probably should be going to anyway. You know, and the two replacements that I heard being mooted uh, very hard were Gateway, uh, the oval, the one and a quarter mile uh, flat oval at Gateway and Watkins Glen. Um, there was a lot of chat on Twitter about uh, Laguna Seca, but I haven't heard anyone mention that seriously as a kind of replacement. No, uh, the, two, the two main ones have been Gateway and Watkins Glen, really. Um, I feel like I'm the only one in the world who likes Laguna Seca at this point, but never mind. I'll just be a hipster in the corner. It's fine. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah because, because Laguna Seca can now possibly host IndyCar anymore. Like, it pretty much came up in this discussion where uh, last year the season ended for... IndyCar at Sonoma, but all the Road to Indy series were able to have their finale at Laguna Seca. IndyCar cannot race at Laguna Seca because it's not safe enough. Yeah. Is that genuinely real? I thought it was only a case of dirty air, which at this point it seems to be affecting most races, but if it's uh, they, I mean, my logic is IMSA still goes there, and those those prototype sports cars, they're not quite as fast as IndyCar, I don't think. No. But there's, they certainly put on a fair old lick. So I assume that if they were good to go with IMSA, then IndyCar would be okay there. Yeah, like with with IMSA, uh, for safety reasons and for other reasons, they run a split race there where they have uh, the... Uh, Field sites, I see what you mean. Yeah. Yeah, I got you. Yeah, yeah, they do. They split. I think they tried combining them last year and it didn't really work. Um, But either way, the two serious replacements that I've heard, you know, a lot of uh, fire from the smoke, or there seems to be the most fire from the smoke, uh, are Gateway and Watkins Glen. Yeah, we we talked about it last week on the show where you talked about how it it was basically down to either Watkins Glen or... Or, as you said, Gateway. And it seems, even though the series would prefer an oval, it seems like they're leaning towards Watkins Glen because, number one, it's closer to Boston. And uh, as in terms of a venue, it's tried and true, and they know it. it They've been there before yeah. and put on some great races there. Yeah, it, they know it would work. It's also been recently resurfaced. So, it's. <laughs> yes. I mean, it's, it could host a race tomorrow. It's one of the premier road courses in America right now. Um, they host a six-hour race there for IMSA, a top Spring Cup race. Open wheel race needs to go back there anyway. I think a lot of people wanted them to return to Watkins Glen anyway, and I think this is it's almost working out perfectly. Boston's loss yeah. might well be Watkins Glen and the fan base's game. Yeah, one of the hurdles in the way is that they're hoping to obviously have it on Labor Day weekend, and the biggest hurdle is that uh, a Ferrari club racing event is held at Watkins Glen most years on Labor Day weekend. So they're trying to cut a deal with those guys. Be like, hey, do you mind if we come along for the party as well? You know, you guys can still have your race, but sort of, yeah, we'll be here too. Well, yeah, that might be a little bit difficult. Basically, because of all the strings attached that comes with having to have Road to Indy as a support event at most road course races, is that basically the Ferrari club would have to, like, not be there. 
And I'm, I'm imagining they're not going to be happy with that. No, <laughs> they, they, they're, they're going to want a Labor Day weekend event. That's all, that just makes marketing sense. You, 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 you're having a weekend off, and then you know, get, oh, come down for some motorsport. You know, of course they're going to want, to, they're going to want in on all of that. So it's not an ideal situation, but uh, let's see if they come up to some kind of resolution. Because I think an IndyCar race on Labor Day weekend would be great for America, and it would be great for fans of the series worldwide. But uh, I'm all for Watkins Glen coming back. I think it's a great track, and I think. Indy car would be fantastic to have, to have it back around there again. I often asked during my uh, Forza 6 LP, I often asked, um, why isn't Watkins getting on there anymore? Nobody could ever give me a straight reason on that. And um, I was kind of disappointed. Because yeah, I think everyone was like, yeah, good question. Why is it not on the calendar anymore? It should come back, damn it. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, we, we, the question has been asked. And I think, you know, having it back would only be a good thing going forward. But... That is just about it for Motors for One when I sign around, except for one thing, and uh, obviously being all the Petroheads we are. So, the Grand Tour Fellas, do we like the name? Uh, well, it's certainly a bit catchier than New Old New Top Gear. That's true. <laughs> that's, that's definitely true. Or in their case, it would have been New Old New Thing We Can't Call Top Gear because copyright reasons. That's, that's also true. <laughs> yeah, it's like, it's a name, so... I think, to be honest with you, it fits the theme. I think it's one of those things, it's almost like... You know, most you, anyone who's into wrestling at this point will know you'll go online and see a ton of different things of how WWE should do this. And, oh, wouldn't it be great if they did this? And then it's almost like what the fans put forward and what you see on YouTube is far better than what actually happens. Loads of the titles. I think everyone was dead set on it being called Gear Knobs because. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then everyone's a bit disappointed that it wasn't. But hey, it sounds a bit like Gran Turismo. It's GT, yeah. reverse of TG locations different ones every week if it's the theme works for me let's just get on with it yeah agreed that will be coming out in the autumn or as the americans would say the fall the fall as, in the as, fall. BBC, as bbc top gear returns on may 29th so just a couple of weeks away from that now Ooh. um Ooh. so that is just about it for Motors 101 this time around uh Johnson, when's the next bringers of noise coming because i know people are going to be wanting to talk about Fruxton. <laughs> Uh, good question. <laughs> Very good question. Um, well, if there is one coming, you may well be hearing it around the same time as you're hearing this. So mm. stay tuned yep. is all I'm going to say. Yep. I'm, gonna, I'm just going to surprise the world. I'm keep going to say I'm going to do a show. And then the day, the week that I don't mention it, bam, there'll be a show. <laughs> It'll be out of nowhere. Yeah. The RKO podcast. So, yeah, that, that'll, be, that'll be funny enough to hear about. Also, news regarding the podcast, I am joining the editing fray very soon, so hopefully we'll be getting much more frequent videos going forward. We can only apologise for not having more on there. We really do enjoy making them, and I think they turn out great in the end. It's just we've been all kind of busy with life, shit, food poisoning, uh, oh, bad, eggs and king, bad, bad eggs in King's case. Chili. But, but as you're listening, this will probably be a new segment up tonight as we record this so look forward to that um so i'll be joining my hat in now so, so, so i'm kind of like i'm it's like riding a bicycle again i'm actually relearning how to edit because i want to download adobe premiere pro and learn how to use that properly and basically challenge myself a little bit more so hopefully that style of video won't be too complicated and you know once i get involved i can start finding the time more often hopefully we'll be getting a lot more in terms of um, video highlights and more original content on the channel which is a uh, you know hopefully a, a good sign of us going forward um of course if you really like this you can back us on patreon of course you can do that patreon.com forward slash motorsport 101 and if you want to support us on youtube of course that's youtube.com forward slash motorsport 101 we're on facebook same slash same name 
And of course, we're all on Twitter. I'm at Harrison101HD. Johnson is on at, is, is at AJ underscore Bomber Sports. And Ryan is at Ryan Eric King. That's with a K. Please don't get confused if people legitimately ask questions about that. Uh, so it happens. Some poor guy called Ryan Eric King with a C. Yeah. Just somewhere in Minnesota is just like... Yeah, I don't host a motorsport podcast. Who are you? I'm still long awaiting the day that that Jordan guy frees up the actual Harrison 101 username. Like I can't. I'm still in high def for some reason. I should be in 4K by now, quite frankly. But <laughs> you know, Harrison 101 4K yeah, doesn't quite sound as edgy. But uh, that's one of those things. But uh, hopefully, we'll have a decent Spanish Grand Prix, and obviously, I think the Cinecars Grand Prix Vinny this weekend as well, isn't it, King? Yeah, hey, yeah, that'll be yeah. good. Getting into the heart of May now. <laughs> Yeah. Oh it's, yes, it is May time. That's always the best time. Hopefully. So, <laughs> until next time, I've been Andre Harrison. He's been Adam Johnson. He's been Ryan King. Hopefully, without the food poisoning. Until next time, <laughs> I thank you very much for listening. I'll catch you guys next time. Sayonara. <laughs> Bye.